0: Welcome back to CCL's podcast, Lead With That, where we talk current events and pop culture to look at where leadership is happening and what's happening with leadership. If you're like us, you've probably heard a lot about GameStop recently, either from a gamer in your life or maybe from the most recent rise and fall of GameStop stock. In December, GameStop was trading at a little under $13. At the end of January, it was trading at $379. And at the time of this recording, it's trading around $193. This feels like a lot of disruption. And what happened with GameStop is raising interesting questions about culture change. I mean, talk about a David vs. Goliath situation. A group of subredditors took on the Wall Street establishment and disrupted the way Wall Street does business. At least for a bit. And it got us here at the pod thinking about disruption and its role in behavior change. Is this disruption the key to change in the way work is done? And from a leadership perspective, is harnessing disruption the missing piece of culture change in the workplace? I'm Ren Washington, one of the trainers here at the center. And as usual, I'm joined with my co host and one of my training colleagues, Allison Barr. Allison, how are you today?
1: Oh, I'm doing well, Ren. Thanks. Staying warm here in a cold Colorado and looking forward to our conversation today.
0: I wish I could say I'm staying <laughs> warm. I am. I, I love my house. But it was built a very long time ago, and the initial, the original windows are here. And I'm sitting next one right now, and it be cold.
1: Oh boy, I cannot even imagine. Yeah. Well, we've are what sitting at I think eleven negative eleven today, and so you know that's good for those of us in Colorado because we need it. But I'll tell you what, my dog is not very happy. Not very happy.
0: <laughs> I wonder if the temperatures put a freeze on the GameStop issue. <laughs>
1: See what you did there?
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm clever like that. Uh, and speaking of GameStop, I I mean, are you busy in the, the stock market? Are you a day trader? Do, do you get down on the stocks?
1: I mean, no. And now I'm sure like a lot of other people sort of kicking myself that I'm not. I do have... I have some shares in a previous company that I used to work with, and I was, you know, telling Roger this past week that I just let them sit there because I don't know what I'm doing necessarily. But now I'm curious to learn more, as I'm sure a lot of people are. What about you?
0: I I play around a little bit. I you know I've got my Robinhood account, and there's occasionally some things that that interest me. My dad and I would talk about General Electric for a while, and it's been on a very interesting journey and he was saying well if you've got the appetite for loss ge <laughs> is your uh is your stock but he's I think we're hoping that you know, one day or something it'll come back to its former glory days and some of the tension that you I think highlight there is a lot of the stock market is as long as you don't sell sell the stock you've kind of not lost any money but the gamestop situation has really uh, raised a different kind of conversation I think you and I are both way more versed than we ever thought we would be around mm-hmm. short selling and all that mm-hmm. jazz. But that's kind of where I'm at with the whole stock deal.
1: Well, I have to ask, did you did you get your Robinhood account in a response to this news story or have you had it for a while?
0: I've had it for a while and I wish that I had a Reddit account because maybe I could have made some money, but uh, it was not in response. Again, it's just like occasional dilly dallying. Friends of mine know that there may have been a time in my life where I like the casinos. Oh. And so, uh, <laughs> uh, you yeah, know, I like a little bit of uh, some play here and there. And, and sometimes stock is kind of like that.
1: Yeah. You know, a good friend of mine sent me whenever this news, this news hit. Right. A friend of mine sent me a text message. And all I could see was the headline that said, is GameStop disrupting Wall Street? And I, and I looked at my phone, I was working and I thought, I'll look at that later. I'm not, you know, I'm not interested necessarily in GameStop. I wonder why she sent that to me. Uh, Mm. But it certainly has, uh, it has gained a lot of focus for a lot of people and really put, put that focus on a topic that's generally very pointed to specific groups. And I think part of the the beauty of all of this is that it's helped to educate a lot of people on a topic that might have seemed really obtuse.
0: Yeah. And and don't worry, listeners, we're we're not gonna break down all the economic structures for GameStop, but I think not only did it shine a light on some of the the things that are happening in in communities that were traditionally kind of cordoned off, but it and for our purposes, it just got me thinking a lot about people. And the role in this kind of situation and, and who's leading who and is it like the blind leading the blind or are there some people high up in a glass tower making some decisions or is it a group of people sitting in basements and dorm rooms moving the dial? So not only did it get me thinking about disruption and leadership's role in disruption, but really got me thinking about a bottom-up kind of grassroots movement. And, and what does that look like from a leadership perspective when you're trying to move a cultural dial or you're trying to impact change or just change any kind of system? You know, when when you hear the word grassroots, what does that mean to you?
1: Yeah, what immediately came to mind was marketing campaigns. Mm. Um, some of my background is in that. And some of some of the most fascinating marketing trends come from these grassroots movements and what that looks like is like communities coming together and forming relationships and helping the movement to propel forward and what I'm curious about your thoughts on this are you have to have everyone's buy-in to get it moving forward so how do you do how do you do that?
0: I think I've had an understanding of grassroots kind of like your point of view, especially in the work that we do. You know, How do you get some groups to kind of collaborate and agree on something? And I really wanted to say, well, you know, grassroots really is just ordinary people regarded as a part of a whole yeah. in an organization's membership. And so when I think about that, I'm like, okay, well, what's the membership here? What's the organization? And it looks like a lot of that has to do with, the membership or the big organization is this this trading floor the people who can sell and buy stocks and then the ordinary people are this group of subredditors that i highlighted earlier this this wall street bets subreddit are are you active on reddit
1: well no and to my earlier point now i am Yeah, now you are? i hopped on there last week i mean no i'm an observer we'll put it that oh, way okay. i i didn't have much knowledge and i did not know that it was a social media platform that was based around communities. I didn't know that. So I thought that was a really unique way to get something to propel forward because you join and you, you know, you join a certain community that you might be interested in.
0: Yeah. I mean, I first got into Reddit a little bit around Game of Thrones.
1: Okay.
0: (laughs) do Do you know Game of Thrones also?
1: I do. Yes.
0: Okay, good. Because it's going to really sound a lot weirder when I say you know nothing else and bar later, <laughs> but I know you know a lot. But so I you know I dig in there and I get, get to hear all these theories and philosophies and these ideas, and it's interesting to see a community come together with a lot of energy around this, and then see how that expands. And so when I dig in GameStop and I say, okay, well, how does this this plucky group? of people, these upstarts derail the way that Wall Street does business? And did someone lead the charge? And the more I dig into it, it's, it gets me thinking about, well, as a leader, if I want to positively impact change, or if I want to make waves in a system that really seems fortified then maybe there's something to be said about asking the little guy, and I'm using air quotes asking the every man or every woman, rather, to get some skin in the game and make a decision. And how do you compel people to say, well, no, your vote, your choice matters here? And it gets me thinking about how did they convince each other that they could do something to GameStop? Ultimately, the way that this looks is that this, this group said to each other, We think GameStop stocks is are undervalued. And this conversation was going on uh, late into 2019. And then, you know, GameStop makes some corporate moves and they add a new member to the board, and that starts to up the value, and then all of a sudden there's this other conversation of well, you know, the traditional institutions are really betting against Wall Street to or, or rather betting against GameStop to fail. So why don't we bet against that and say that it's going to succeed and make it succeed and, and create value where maybe there wasn't value before. Hmm. And it just, i how do people do that? I mean, how do <laughs> how have you ever created value where there wasn't value before? What kind of conversations were you having or what kind of conversations the leaders have to have in order to do that?
1: Oh gosh, that's a loaded question, isn't it? It depends on the group that you're in, I would think. And it makes me curious about influence as a as a topic, right? How do you influence people when you have a, a thought or an idea that might be out of left field or might f- might seem to be unpopular? Although part of me wonders if that if it was presented in a way that was a popular idea, Wall Street has a lot of um, power and perhaps it was phrased as, let's disrupt Wall Street. That's that's an emotionally driven question that probably would get a lot of people on board. What do you think?
0: Well, it's, you know, we talk about that a lot of, I think a lot of the time when we're talking about how to influence real seismic change, and you get people's value systems involved. And, and there's this interesting reflection of, there's a lot of young people who are participated in this, who don't have millions of dollars to bet, but I was the more I read about this, the more I read that people were saying, Well, this is our chance as as the little guy to kind of stick it to the man. Or, you know, (laughs) my value here isn't necessarily the money I'm making, but it's to damage this system that continues to get benefits from from us and doesn't really let us play. Mm. But then I dig a little bit deeper and I start to look at it and I and I really investigate. Well, do what do I mean by grassroots? And was this really grassroots? And the more I find out about the players. Involved in this subreddit, the more I realize that some of these people are some heavy hitters. Mm. Some of these people have money to spend and a lot of credibility around the issue. And so then I wonder well, can something really change in the mailroom if someone from leadership isn't there to help it change? Like, do ideas actually come from the bottom and change the way the top looks or works?
1: Mm. Gosh, I want to say yes. I, I want to say yes. You know, I'm a. <laughs> I guess, a naive, positive person here. But I think it can, should you, like grassroots movements do, should you be in relationship with the right people, to your point, right? Like, do, do you always have to have that power player, though? What do you think?
0: I think you got to be in the room where it happens. To take the Hamilton phrase, it's I really wonder, does it matter if we change the way we do work if I'm not in the boardroom or the conference room where the decisions are being made? Mm -hmm. And so I wonder if it's not, maybe I don't need to have access or be one of the power players, but once the change starts to happen, I've got to get someone from the movement represented in the conversation.
1: You know what I'm thinking of too is I'm visualizing general organizational structure, especially bigger ones where you have maybe a CEO, maybe there's a board, a president, but that leadership team, if you include the C-suite as well, is generally so much smaller than the employee bench. And it's so interesting how sometimes there's a disconnect there, right? Like the idea might start in the, in the mailroom and it might be a darn good idea. And what does it take to channel that all the way up to the top where the decisions are being made and to the GameStop analogy, it's my understanding that they they did have key players, and I wonder if it would have worked without those key players.
0: And, well, and to dig in a little bit deeper, they had people who had a lot of market awareness, and I don't want to make it seem like this subreddit is actually just full of people who don't know what they're doing. Like <laughs> A lot of these people are very experienced traders, mm-hmm. whether or not they have millions of dollars to spend. But it's not just a matter of, do you have someone who has the know-how in the team or in that movement? But then what I'm wondering You know, in our lead-in, we talk a little bit about, well, did it really disrupt Wall Street? Is anything going to change or are the policies that come from this really just going to continue to enable and empower the big structures and protect against this kind of disruption? So maybe disruption is not the thing that changes culture, but actually the thing that fortifies culture, that stops culture change.
1: Yeah. And I think, too, the initial disruption has happened right like that initial disruption it's done it's happened it's sort of over and what has happened because of it is that there are conversations now about different perspectives of wall street and the culture and what what can we do differently what do we need to do differently so now the voices are in the room so the disruption maybe doesn't have to be this long journey. It can be quick, quick enough to get the right conversations to start moving things forward. Because culture change doesn't happen overnight. That's going to take time, right? Like, who knows what's going to come of this? We don't know. That's kind of exciting.
0: What would you bet comes of this? <laughs> Speaking of betting and, and gambling, what, what would you, if you had to put money on it, what do you think is going to come from this?
1: Oh, gosh, Ren. I think the conversations are around... Wall Street and power structures are going to start to get very energized. And so I I do think it's going to take a very long time for things to begin to shift, but I do think a general awareness and a general education of how these things work in terms of supporting our economy in terms of the buy in needed in terms of who can play, so to speak, those conversations are starting to happen. I don't think the majority, at least in the U.S., the majority of, you know, United States citizens are super intrigued by Wall Street. (laughs) Maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think the majority of people are because they don't really necessarily see or think about how it impacts us directly because we don't play directly, but it does. And so I think those conversations will start to happen. What about you? What do you think?
0: If I, were, if I were a gambling man, and some people might say, I am, I would think nothing changes. Yeah. At first, I really thought, okay, this is going to start some interesting conversation like you're saying. And I'm thinking to myself, wow, who would have thunk it mm. that this group of people could change this value-based situation without the authority or the say-how of traditional market research and traditional stock research. And then I see what's happened now. Now, I mean GameStop, like I said still, it's still trading at 50 bucks, which is still considerably higher than the $14 it was trading at at its, at its peak one point before the chewy.com guy joins the board. But it's nowhere near the $400 that it was. And I think what's happened was there was disruption. The people driving the ship or bus said, "Oh my goodness, this is bad for business everybody. Let's stop this quickly." Mm. And there's another layer of conversation about why apps like Robinhood or or Webull, a lot of them stopped the the trading or limited access to these these volatile, high volatile stocks. And at first, people were saying, see, look, the system is working in conjunction with each other to say, no, no, let's keep on helping us get rich and, and stop everyone else from doing the same. And as we've learned more, that maybe not be the case. But for me, it is indicative of how easy systems in place can maintain their place in systems.
1: Yes, and the system is working exactly as it was designed. No one was doing anything illegal, to my research, to my knowledge. No one was doing anything that the big players in Wall Street aren't doing every day. But when... You know, the masses, the small masses, started to get involved. I don't know that they had planned for that to happen, <laughs> right? And so the questions began to raise. I, I hear you that maybe maybe not a lot will change. I do think it's an important news story that will probably carry a lot of questions for a long time for the general public. And that's part of what disruption does, right? Gets people to look at things in different ways. And then you start to approach how you think about these things differently. And if you do want to play in in this space, right? And if you do, what does that mean? And then if people start to, what does that mean for Wall Street? What does that mean for our economy? It's a much bigger, much bigger question that, of course, we're not going to solve in this podcast, but I do think it's going to be a slow burn rather than a burn it down kind of disruption, Mm. a very slow burn.
0: I think, okay, a leader's role. What's it, should a leader then in an organization, or you listener, if you're leading a team or you're part of a decision making group, do you look at a disruptive idea or disruption and do you embrace it? Or do you look at it with caution and say, well, won't disruption have a negative effect? And and initially I with our question I thought to you, yes, Allison, you're right. Disruption is the missing piece in culture change. Mm-hmm. And now when I look at it, I'm thinking, well, if I'm a leader, maybe the plan isn't just disruption. But it's something more because I think disruption, it highlights what needs to be fixed to stop disruption. <laughs> like what if this, what if the people making decisions don't care about disruption or don't want the system to be disrupted? If I'm a leader and I have this team who's got this brilliant idea and then I bring it up to the top and they go, good idea, but our system doesn't work like that. So next time you're going to put your suggestion into a suggestion box. And then if we want to do it, it'll be our idea.
1: Yeah.
0: Is disruption actually the thing that stops culture change? So I'd love to hear more about what you think around, no, disruption is in fact the thing that changes or maybe it isn't.
1: Yeah. And here's one thing I'll say that language matters too, right? And context matters. Disruption is a trend. It's a trendy term that's been around in business and organizations for a couple of years now. And it can be viewed as a way to be innovative and progressive. And it can be viewed in some circles as... a a negative thing that uh, can damage business. So when I think of how this group of traders initially came together, it was, as you mentioned, primarily by way of a social media platform. And like I mentioned, Reddit's based around communities. So Reddit makes it very easy in some ways to be disruptive and anonymous versus other social platforms. So it got it just really got me thinking about how at the organizational level, how does it happen? So if we think back to Reddit, you fast forward and these traders and their actions, they got key players talking about Wall Street and whether or not a culture shift's gonna happen, we don't know, that's yet to be determined. But if we think about the organizational metaphor here, we often hear from clients that they're looking to positively disrupt their workplace culture. And we often hear from senior leaders, I really want to know what's going on. Like, I, why don't I get feedback from my employees? Have you heard that, Ren?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And why do? You, what's your take on that? Why do you think people don't talk to their leaders openly and honestly?
0: Because they don't believe that people want to hear open and honest feedback.
1: Yeah, and so <laughs> exactly. Yeah. What we hear like more often than not is that they choose to go the route of maybe feedback sessions or surveys. Um, sometimes they use anonymous polls so that they can have employees speak safely about their experience, right? And it's an effort to create psychological safety and, and it's well intended and it's a way for them to have real and honest dialogue. But you and I both know that after the employee creates the survey, they go have a beer with their friends, and that's where the real honest dialogue happens. Hmm. And so (laughs) the obstacle here is that surveys aren't perfect, of course, and these polls aren't perfect. I read a Forbes article just the other day about employee surveys and how they have misinterpreted data. There can be a lack of follow-up, inability to dig in because it's anonymous, right? But the one thing that stood out from this article that the author stated was exactly to your point. Leadership can act very inappropriately, and they do, to these surveys because the feedback that is provided to them is not positive. It's not what they want to hear. And so when I think about your reflection on the mailroom and thinking about conversations that happen in the masses at the workplace, those conversations aren't being bubbled up because leadership may become defensive, right? And then they somehow delegitimize the feedback because it feels personal. So how can we get people in honest dialogue at the workplace in service of the culture change? Um, Is it disruption? Sure, but what are your thoughts? I mean, do you find that your clients are comfortable having those honest, honest feedback conversations in service of a culture change at the workplace?
0: Of course, my clients, the ones that I work with closely are, if you're listening, you're doing a great job. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I think that there's a tension there. And something you bring up for me is, have you ever waited tables? Oh, yeah. So you know when someone asks you, what's your favorite thing on the menu? Yeah. And then you tell them. And it's not what they want to eat. So they go, great, I'll have the other thing. Mm. And what I've often reflected of is when they're asking that, they want to know, all right, tell me my pick is a good pick. Right. Because I really want to eat this meal. So tell me it's good. And so I think leaders fall into that trap where they're like, ooh, we've worked hard on this. And 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 without any right, without any malice, all the lift the company and help people. We got this brilliant idea. Hey, organization, what do you think? And the people implementing goes, thanks for the gesture, but this is dumb. Don't do it. And then leadership goes, Well, okay, but what but reevaluate my idea. Right. And so I think that's that's such an interesting tension that. That people have to manage so that's that's one of the things that comes up for me and the other one that makes me think of what is that, that individual leader's role. And, it, and when we talk leader and leadership, we know at CCL, we talk about leadership as a social process. Mm. You know, I always talk uh, with people that you don't have to have a C next to your suite to be a leader. Right. In fact, someone's leading a team or they're leading uh, a project, or if they're not doing any one of those, they're leading other things. They're leading their own experience. They're leading their lives at home. Like, everyone can play the role of a leader. And so it makes me think about how do I leverage the social process of leadership to change the dialogue? And maybe it's just opening up the space. Mm. Is disruption the key to culture change? Disruption might be the key to culture change only if it opens up an environment for free discussion. Yes. As a leader, do I say, hey, you're disrupting or we want disruption and we realize then that this disruption that we asked for is really going to hurt all the efforts that we've done or it's going to stand in opposition to it. So let's talk about it.
1: Right. So let's let's do that. Let's talk about that. So in order to make a positive culture disruption happen, we, I mean, we know we have to have those real conversations with our people. But if, if you zoom out further, if we zoom out fa- further from that, we already know you got to have psychological safety. You just alluded to that. It's a non-negotiable for those conversations. However, there's an invisible caveat to psychological safety. And that lies within the acknowledgement of and the response to organizational power dynamics in the same way they exist in society. So I'm not talking about the obvious ones, boss to direct report, mm-hmm. right? I, I, I mean the invisible dynamics at play, humans are so complicated. The invisible dynamics at play when you're in a space and you have to acknowledge race, gender identity, age, tenure in the company, Education, those are just to name a few. Of course, there are so many more, but if we don't acknowledge those in the space, and I don't necessarily mean verbally, but individually, you can prohibit psychological safety. So it's wonderful to talk about psychological safety. We need that. However, power dynamics are fluid and they can inhibit psych safety in ways that are invisible. And that's what makes this very, very complicated. So if we want to avoid employees having those real conversations after the meeting or after the survey, and if we want to avoid groups gathering online because they think they're safer, that is what people do, right? Hmm. We want to we negate that risk of a Twitter thread going viral because employees didn't feel like they were safe to say it at the workplace or they weren't heard. Leaders have to start investigating how their inherent power can make or break psychological safety. So it, it's, it's uh, again, a huge concept a very big topic to talk about on a pad 40 minute podcast
0: yeah.
1: but <laughs> it is a leader's responsibility to learn about how their power impacts various circles and individuals and it's a hundred percent their role to ensure that trust is present so what do you th- i mean again i know we're not gonna solve this in the next what 10 minutes but what are your responses to that
0: well, it makes me have two questions, and you started to answer some of my second one. But you were talking about how words matter, and I think sometimes we take for granted our awareness of these things like what psychological safety is. And so for someone who that term might be new to, or mm-hmm. they might have an implicit understanding, but not an explicit understanding, how would you explain it in a sentence, what psychological safety is?
1: In one sentence, I would say you are sh- you are free to share your thoughts, experiences, and ideas with zero retaliation.
0: Okay. As a leader, how do I then cultivate that freedom and not punish someone with retaliation? What can I actually do tactically if I have a team who's trying to share freely, or if I'm leading an effort to try to shift the culture, how do I provide that safety?
1: I think there are a lot of ways to do that, and and what immediately comes to mind is just transparency and conversation. We have a team meeting, right? And I'm going to set the new norm. This is our standard, right? This is my expectation. I want us to be able to share ideas because I know they're going to move us forward. Or you know, and it might not. Your idea might not work. That doesn't mean that you're right, wrong, or bad. And it also means that I'm not going to criticize you or shame you um, or retaliate against you because your idea was X, Y, Z. And my expectation is that everyone in the room follows suit.
0: Yeah. I think the, the, something that you highlighted there, the no judgment is really key for, for what I think is having these real conversations that can mold and grow and, maybe support disruption or culture change, or as a leader, trying to remove the good, the bad, and the ugly from it. Mm. And I was talking with a client just today, and we we're having a conversation around needing to change the focus from problem and solution to how do we leverage all the assets we have to bear to be better. And they came back, it's like, well, we work in a scientific field, and so we've been drilled into our head that problem-solution is the way to attack issues mm. in the spirit of no judgment. I'm not saying that's right or wrong, mm-hmm. but it's an interesting reflection of well, what if we change the binary frame? Then when I'm a leader who says, hey, I, we need to disrupt our current culture or positively disrupt it, to also admit to myself, but I really like casual Fridays. Can we not positively disrupt that? <laughs> there, it's okay for people to say, here's what we want. And also, there are some things that we really still value in the ask of this. Right. And then as a leader who's moving the change or who's got a team who's ready to change stuff says, comes to the table and says, well, thank you for your point of view. This is what we value and why we're trying to disrupt it.
1: Yeah, you actually reminded me of a a conversation I actually had, too, with a client last week. He said, I really want to bring the culture of feedback to my workplace. I can't. I said, why not? Hmm. He said, because it hasn't been responded well to in the past. And so it's just an interesting tension, if you will, that people are sometimes not even aware of how they're responding to someone who's trying to bring a new idea, whether it's feedback or a complete system restructure, right? It could be something small or it could be something ginormous, but either way, people are very predictable. And so when a leader is is asking for employees' feedback, if we bring it back to this, this notion of feedback, right? We, we want to have an environment where people can be honest about their experience, and to your point, psychological safety helps, and an outcome of so- psychological safety is trust. However, without that trust and without the acknowledgement of the inherent power in the room, you cannot do it. It's very, very hard. So You have to be able individually at the individual leader to look around you and know that I might be influencing people's ability to speak without even saying anything because I'm a white woman and I have power in certain spaces. That's me, of course, um, speaking to my experience. And so I have to know that. And it's complicated (laughs) because that power is fluid. It changes. It can change like that. It can change depending on who's in the space. But when I think about what you can do that is tangible, is at the leader level, you can take a deeper look at how your invisible power impacts those around you. So know it, intellectually know it. And when people ask you, you know, Ren, if you could wave a magic wand, what would you change about our organization? You actually then listen without becoming defensive Mm. and you you believe them. So what happens is that people don't get believed. It's that third piece that is oftentimes missing. What's your experience like? If you could wave a magic wand, what would you do? And then so-and-so says something that makes you feel defensive and you're in a position of power, internally, you write it off. So that's what we're trying to get rid of, right? So in order to have that culture change, you have to get rid of that last piece, (laughs) which is very hard for people. What do you think?
0: So going back to the idea of disruption, and then you said people are predictable. Mm. And so we know when people face disruption, there might be some predictable response to that. Yeah. So if if in the experience of disruption, or even just looking back at Wall Street and GameStop, the disruption is a, a group of sub a subculture really uproots common thinking or the the best practices, and then changes the tenor of the conversation for a bit. But for sort of for me, the predictable outcome has been that. GameStop's not trading at 400 bucks anymore. Right. It's trading at 50. Granted, it's up by a point. It's, you know, it's it's on a greenward trajectory, an upward trajectory right now. But I think eventually it's going to retract. And so do the big trading firms. So do the big hedge funds. They say sooner or later it's going to lose its steam, this Reddit subculture or whatever support it, it's going to go away. We're just going to wait this thing out. Hmm. And it seems like The predictable part of it is as a leader, when I'm trying to motivate change or trying to do a culture shift, there's going to be people who either explicitly or implicitly think we're not going to be able to maintain course. Right. We're always going to retract to the norm or regress to the mean. I think that my biggest takeaway or my still lingering question is that how do I maneuver around predictable responses with people as a leader of an organization or as a leader of a team in that disruptive space?
1: (laughs) That's the question of the day, really, (laughs) right? (laughs) I mean, what makes that complicated, again, is that each organization has their own nuances. However, from a psychological standpoint, there's some probably beauty in acknowledging and naming what is. This is going to be hard, and we're going to need to put a lot of energy behind this if we want to sustain it. Here's the outcome, and here are the benefits to that outcome. And again, that that strategy is not going to work for everyone. But for the, the vast majority of people, we know that to sustain change or disruption, you have to work, you have to work for it. And so if you tell me, Ren, you could take this easy way that's like you can sort of be on autopilot and just do things the way you've normally done them, or you can take this other way and you have to challenge your own thinking in every single moment. It's going to be exhausting. You're going yeah. to hate it. You're going to disagree with me. You're going to fight it. Which way are you going to take? And most people aren't going to take that route.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're going to want to. Like, I can stick it out. Also, can you do both for me? Can I do the change and not have to change my own behavior? Mm. Like That's what I hear the most. I want change. I just don't want to change me. Right. Yeah.
1: And why people don't want to change themselves is also a complicated question. But it's hard. It's not easy. And I think we can just name that. So anyhow, I mean, you and I could talk about this for seven hours and still not scratch the surface. So <laughs> what's what's one leadership lesson that you want our listeners to take away from our conversation today?
0: There's kind of two things here. And if I could trouble you with a story, I'm going to share. Are you familiar with the, the story of the little girl on the beach with the starfish?
1: <laughs> I'm not sure.
0: You might be. So... Um, this old man is walking along the beach next to his home, and it's after a king tide, the highest of tides. And, and this tide has receded, and there are starfish on the beach as far as the eye can see. All the way back behind him to where his house was, and all the way in front of him, all the way to the horizon line. And all he sees is starfish. And he's going along his walk, and, and soon, uh, on the edge of his vision there, uh, a small girl comes into focus. And he can see from a distance that she seems to be throwing something into the ocean moving along a little bit, then throwing, leaning down, and then throwing other things in the ocean. As he gets closer to her, she reali- he realizes that she's picking up and throwing starfish back into the ocean. And he finds this is curious because he looks behind him. He sees nothing but starfish. He looks in front of him, sees her, and looks past her. Nothing but starfish littering the beach. And he finally walks up to the little girl. She's throwing a starfish into the ocean. And he asks him, you know, what are you doing? And she said, I'm throwing these starfish back. I'm putting them back into the ocean. And the old man kind of furrows his brow again. He looks behind him, sees starfish as far as he can see. He can't even see his house anymore, but he can still see starfish. He looks in front of him again, nothing but starfish. She said, well, that's not going to make a difference. Look how many starfish there are. And she looks at him. She looks down at another starfish, bends down, picks it up, throws it in the ocean, looks back at him and says, well, it made a difference to that one. And it, it speaks to my big leadership lesson that small behaviors can make a big difference. I often talk about, like, we don't have to climb the whole mountain in one day. Mm. And in fact, we're not going to climb the whole mountain in one day. But if we can do some small things, it can make a difference. And so I'm looking at my idea from two two parts here. From the bottom, if you're not in the predominant culture in your organization, or you're not the one who's in the decision making, it doesn't mean that you can't cause positive disruption or that you can't shift a culture because cultures are really just things that we say and do every single day it's just the habits that we have when we come into work and so if i'm leading a team or or just leading myself or working with some colleagues and we want to change the way we do work we start by changing the way we do work because it doesn't matter if it's not going to impact four thousand people right away it's going to impact the way we do business and then the transition point is when someone starts to recognize it How do we get clarity on what we're doing and why and then make sure one of us in that group has some line of sight or visibility to where the decision is being made? Mm. So that's one of my lessons. And the other lesson is that if you're at the helm of an organization, if you're leading or guiding or making decisions, you can't ignore those small movement, because you know we can look at Wall Street and they can say, well, we're just going to wait GameStop out. But some of the major trading firms or hedge funds they've lost more than a billion dollars because of their short positions on these stocks. And they have the luxury of losing billions of dollars. I don't know how many people or organizations do, though, who can run the risk of, well, we're going to ignore this and instead we're just going to lose our money here. So if you're at the top of the organization, you can't ignore what's happening in pockets and then try to lift that action into the, the, the zeitgeist, into the organization's culture. So that disruption works in service of a positive culture change as opposed to against it. And so how do we create a, it's a we as opposed to it's a you versus me. Mm. So small behaviors make a big difference. And if you're at the helm of an organization, you can't ignore small things that might make major change.
1: I'm still thinking about the girl with her starfish. That was a nice that was a nice analogy and I, I'm with you. I'm with you on both of those and my takeaway would be it's sort of in conjunction with yours that if you want to start to pay attention to and you should start paying attention to this the small movements, the small behaviors that are happening, the ones that um might disrupt your own thinking, the best thing that you can do is take a deeper look at how your inherent and invisible power impacts those around you. You need psychological safety to disrupt. And if you wanna disrupt positively, you also have to understand why people aren't speaking up, why people aren't contributing, why people aren't saying these are the trends that are happening that you just don't see. You have to be willing to ask those questions. What should we change? and listen to them (laughs) and you also have to believe people when they share their experiences even if it makes you wonder if you've done something wrong nobody's perfect there's no such thing as a positive or a perfect leader rather and so being able to let your guard down and be willing to believe people when they share their experiences is a really great first step
0: i wonder what freud would say if there's no such thing as a Positive leader. I mean perfect leader.
1: <laughs> yeah, Freudian slip. <laughs> As always, Ren, thanks for the intriguing dialogue. I yeah, appreciate it. I always I'm walking away with a lot to think about now. And I also want to thank our listeners for tuning in. So if you are listening, don't forget to dis- to subscribe to our Leadership Lessons on the Ground podcast. Be sure to give us a rating while you're there. You can also find more leadership lessons from CCL on our LinkedIn page. And lastly, Ren, we'd be remiss if we didn't give accolades to our behind the scenes unsung hero, Ryan. Um, thank you, Ryan. That's right. He does hours and hours and hours of prep and postwork, helps us to strategize, gives us ideas. Um, he does so much to make this podcast happen. So thanks to you, Ryan. Uh, thanks again, folks. And we'll look forward to seeing you next time.
0: That's right. See you next week.